Well, today is a very important day in the history of Scent Church. We will be setting into office another elder uh, here, our dear brother, Eric Gebers, and that's going to, yeah, you can, you can clap. We love him. <laughs> and that's going to be towards the end of my message, so you will have to endure the message in order to partake of that. But, you know, over the past uh, several months now, we have been in the pastoral letters, the letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus in a series called The Gospel in the Life of the Church. Uh, and for me personally, it has been a profoundly life-giving series. I think it has deepened our church in growth and understanding of, of how the gospel works in us as the people of God. And we looked at a few times in our series, last week we looked at Titus chapter 1, we looked at several uh, weeks prior to that, First Timothy chapter 3, uh, where Paul outlines the qualifications of those who would lead in the church of Jesus Christ. And we look through that, and I believe we can say that quite clearly we see that it is God's design for the local church uh, to have godly and qualified men set in office called elders. And today what I want to do is look at another passage that uh, contains a very powerful exhortation for elders, and that's not in the pastoral letters, that's in First Peter. But it is a very instructive portion of Scripture for us as a church, and certainly it contains a very important charge for our dear brother Eric, who will be stepping into the office of elder as outlined in that chapter. He is walking this particular path. And for us, it's going to be a fresh and fitting reminder of God's grace on the church in the giving of these gifts to this local expression of the church of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 5, we will read verses 1 through 5. Hear the words of the living God. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Last week we looked at the instructions Paul was giving to, to Titus. And the instruction there was for him being left in the island of Crete where the apostle and his ministry team had been preaching the gospel and disciples were being made and churches were started in each town. And he tells him, you need to complete the work that was begun there. You need to put what remained into order. And the way that Titus was going to bring this work to completion was by appointing elders in every church in which there was a body of believers that had gathered and assembled as the church of Jesus Christ. In every town that there was a church, he was to set in office and appoint elders. Now, this aspect of appointing elders is not something new. It's not just something that Paul innovated and we see here in these pastoral letters. 
We've seen from the very foundation of the church that it's been God's design to have these godly leaders set in place with a particular role and function to accomplish. In Acts chapter 11, we see the Jerusalem church having a plurality of elders. That was maybe a dozen years after the events of Pentecost. Acts chapter 14, we see the apostles appointing elders in every church and named three cities there in which elders were appointed. God intended for the local church to have elders, call them pastors and overseers as well. Elders in every church. That was the apostolic imperative. Now, in Peter's letter here, it's written to the Asian churches. And here he instructs particularly those who are called elders. Look, he writes, so I exhort the elders. These were already there. They were already established. They were already appointed. I exhort the elders among you. Now, through our teaching, we've talked about this term elder being an interchangeable term with overseers or pastors, shepherds, or even bishops, as sometimes that word uh, is translated. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul instructs Timothy there, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it's an office. It's a particular position in the church of Jesus Christ. That, that word used there in 1 Timothy for overseer is the Greek word episkope. Okay? That particular word for leadership has to do with a position uh, or an assignment of supervision. We can think of it maybe as a managerial, managerial role, right? You're overseeing a department. You're overseeing a division. In this case, this individual oversees a local body of believers, a local church. Now in Titus and in our passage, that word elder is used. You don't see it stated this over, over the same way. You, you see him referencing this exercise of oversight. All right, so now this is the verbal action of the noun for overseer. Okay, but here he calls them elders, and that's the Greek word presbutero. Now in those two words, you can hear some denominations, the Episcopalian church, the Presbyterian church, Right, they de derive their names from a particular form of governance using these particular uh, Greek terms. But that word elder uh, means leadership also, but in there it has to do with the aspect of seniority. Thinking about the Jewish councils, right? The, the elders were those who were usually 50 and older uh, that were looked to for leadership, right? Those were the, the wise uh, gray hairs or the graybeards, okay? I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working my way towards that. Though I am over 50, so yeah, technically there. Eric's not quite there yet. But when he becomes an elder, you'll see how quickly his beard grays and his hair grays there, right? <laughs> now, we can throw this term shepherd in here because we, we see him telling here to shepherd the flock of God, right? Shepherd or pastor is another interchangeable term talking about the same thing. But shepherding has to do with tending and taking care of the flock of God, right? It's, it's what the elder does. So putting that together, we can say from these passages that the title or position is elder, right? If we're going to give it a name, the position is elder, and the function or role is overseeing the flock of God by shepherding them. Now, Peter here is writing to several churches, right? He, he references a plurality of elders, now, he may have been talking about all of the elders in all of these churches, 
but we can see that from, from Scripture, that a plurality of elders was the ideal for the local church. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be just a solo dude the whole time, okay? Now, Peter refers to himself here, interestingly, as a fellow elder. Now, he's the apostle of the Lord, isn't he? I mean, he was with Jesus. But notice his posture here. He doesn't come lording over them. I'm an apostle. Listen to me. Do what I say. He goes, as a fellow elder, like I am, I'm with you in this. He's standing with them, not over them, right? So, so he's exhibiting, even in, in his writing here, and modeling the very thing that he's going to require of them here in this exhortation. We can also see that these men, the elders, he writes here, are among you. So these weren't dudes that were coming in from outside of the church and people that were not known, and all of a sudden now they're the ones in charge. That's not what he says here. The elders among you, they come from within. You know, they're not really supposed to come from without. They're supposed to be coming from within. They're supposed to be known. We've talked about this at length. It's one of the most important aspects of this. Otherwise, how are we able to determine if they meet the qualifications that Scripture sets out, right? There's a lot of people who come and go through churches, and one of the first things some of those guys do that want positions and want places of authority is they, they give you their resume. Look at all of the, look how amazing I am. Look at all the amazing things <clears throat> I've done. I've preached here. I've done this. I've led this. I've led that. But we don't know you. We don't know your character. You could be a wolf. You could be one of those very people that the apostles are warning us about here. So how are we going to know? Well, time. You need to be living a life and doing life among the people of God to be known so we can determine if you meet those qualifications. So that's a really important thing. Now, what is this exhortation that he gives to the elders here? You see it there in verse 2. The exhortation is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The elders shepherd the flock of God. It's interesting, this metaphor of shepherds and sheep here and flock. Thinking about Peter's backstory here. You recall at the end of John, these events, when Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested, what did Peter do? Cowering in fear, he denies the Lord, doesn't he? You can imagine the, the guilt, the shame he experienced, you know, uh, the feelings of how he had betrayed his Lord. But then we have the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ, approaches Peter, right? That beautiful scene, I don't know if they were in Daytona Beach or New Smyrna Beach or somewhere here, right? But <clears throat> he, he calls out to Peter. And he says, Peter, Simon, Peter, do you love me? Remember that? Three times he asked him that. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I can imagine he's probably exasperated, but also feeling the shame and the guilt, right, of, of what he'd done. And what's the Lord's instructions to him, the command he gives him there? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. That's what the Lord was calling Peter to do, to shepherd his people, to shepherd the flock of God, his Sheep And now, you know, giving these exhortations to the elders, right, this metaphor comes back, this, this aspect of what he knew that the Lord had called him to. And now he's going to exhort the elders to do the very same thing the risen Christ instructed him to do. Feed his sheep, tend to his sheep, care for his sheep. Elders shepherd the flock of God. 
The way they shepherd is by exercising oversight, by leading, guiding, superintending the work, right? The elder leads through pastoral oversight. We talked a little bit about that when we went through those other two chapters there, leading, feeding, caring, protecting. We see over and over again, right, the instructions from the apostle to Timothy and to Titus, Watch out for the wolves. You've got to protect the people of God. You've got to preserve the doctrine of the church, the sound doctrine. You've got to preserve the gospel because those are coming in to distort the gospel. They're teaching a different gospel, and they're leading the people of God astray. So what's an elder to do? Well, you've got to spank those people, right? Command them to be silent. Rebuke them, right? And, and continue to teach the sound doctrine in the church. So important. One of the primary shepherding tasks One of the primary responsibilities in this exercise of oversight in the church is the teaching ministry of the elder. It's one of the most important things that we do. We feed the flock of God, not our opinions, not our private revelations, not things we download from sermons.com. We feed the flock of God the word of God. That's what we do. That's what we're commanded to do. The only life-giving and nourishing sustenance that the flock of God needs is the word of God. And so an elder must take care to lovingly lead the flock of God to the green pastures and living waters of the word of God. And again, protecting sheep from false teachers and false teachings. We have warned you repeatedly of that in our series here as well. Now, the Apostle Paul in the pastoral emphasizes the character of the elder in his letters. Character is super important, right? You can have all the skills in the world. You can be an amazing communicator, an amazing teacher, an amazing instructor. You could be floating, you know, in the air and even perform signs and wonders. And Paul doesn't talk about any of those things. It's the character. It's the character. That's the job description of an elder. That's it. The only other qualification he talks about that would be a skill is he's got to be able to teach. It's got to be able to instruct because not only are you equipping and building up the body, but you also need to refute error and correct those who are teaching false. But Peter in his letter, it's not that he's not concerned about these things. He is, but here he's concerned with the motivations, the attitudes, the manner in which the elder oversees the flock of God. How is it that he exercises oversight in the church? It's not just about what they do, but how they go about doing it. So character and the motivations and the attitude and the disposition of the heart are both critical and important. The character and the motivations of the person who exercise oversight over the flock of God is extremely important. So let's look at those motivations that he outlines here. Okay? He gives the exhortation and then he writes that they're to exercise oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. He states three negative motivations or attitudes, and then he states the positive uh, motivation or attitude that an elder is to operate in. Now, Sam Storms, commenting on this passage, summarizes these uh, three negative motivations or statements as the love of praise, the love of profit, and the love of power. An elder must not have, must not love praise, love profit, and love power. And I think that's a pretty decent way to summarize that. When Paul gives the qualifications that an elder must possess, you begin to see 
that it is all the opposite of those very things, of these negative motivations. When you think of the qualifications, and we're not going to go through them, we've, we've already done that. But he writes that they must not be greedy for gain, a lover of money, not violent, not quarrelsome, not arrogant, must not be insubordinate, must be self-controlled, must be gentle, a lover of good, upright, holy, disciplined, super important character qualities. And above all of that, the umbrella term that's used several times is they must be above reproach. Must be blameless, not perfect. We know Eric's not perfect. For sure, I am not perfect. That's far from it. It's not about being perfect or sinless, okay? But it is having an unimpeachable character, right? So people can't say, oh, no, he is insubordinate, and this is how. Oh, at home, you know, he's a tyrant, he's a bully, he beats his wife, you know, or something. No, that's quite not in view of someone you want as an elder, okay? Is there anything we need to know, Lauda? All right, too late, too late. All right, so <laughs> she beats him, yeah. All right, I think that's allowed because I don't see it in Scripture. No, it, no, it's not, no, it's not. <laughs> All right, so... Having the right character is necessary in appointing a man who will in turn, um, out of those right character qualities, is going to have the right motivations for being appointed to the office of overseer. So let's look at these briefly here. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. You ever go to a restaurant expecting great service, expecting a cheerful server, you know, who's excited that you're there, and it's looking forward to taking care of you. And then you realize they're just got the worst attitude, right? They don't want to be there. They hate the fact that they're there. And they tell you that. And if you ask them for something, it's like you're bothering them. Like, you know, what are you doing, right? It's not a pleasant experience, right? That's someone who's probably working there under compulsion. They have to work there. They don't want to work there. And no one, no one should be forced, coerced, manipulated or pressured into this position who does not want it, who does not feel the call of the Lord to do it, should be entered into voluntarily. There should be a God-driven motivation as God would have you, freely choosing to serve God's people in this manner. I did not have to bribe Eric. I did not have to coerce him. I didn't have to twist his arm. Well, maybe a little bit. Uh, Early on, but not lately. No, no, we don't, we don't pressure someone. We don't control them to, to the degree to say, no, you have to do this because you're needed. Remember what I said last week just, or a couple weeks ago. Even if there is a need for more elders, and there always is, we should never relax the standards of God's word. We just don't do it. We just don't do it. That's why in the history of sent church, this will only be the... Fourth elder apart from me that has been appointed here. Others have moved on. Others we sent out uh, to plant another work. Another retired. I've operated as a solo elder. Different periods of this church's history. And there's always been need. But God has to raise that individual up. And I praise God. He's doing that again for us here. Right? So that's important. It's glad, joyful, cheerful, voluntary service. Think about Jesus. Is he a reluctant, unwilling shepherd? He's not at all. Not at all. How much more we, his under-shepherds, should have that same disposition of heart. 
We want to do this out of our love for the chief shepherd, out of our love for God and for the people of God to serve them in this way. And no one has to make us do that. All right. Cheerful, willingly and wholeheartedly. That's the right heart attitude an elder must possess serving for the glory of God and the good of God's people. What he writes here, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Elder cannot have the attitude of a hireling. Right? The hireling just does the job for what they get paid for. Like, uh, you're giving me 15 bucks an hour, well, I'm going to give you 15 bucks an hour. I, what you think 15 bucks an hour is, and no more. Sadly, some people have that attitude, right? Well, this is just the only responsibility I've given. I am definitely not going above and beyond that. That's a hireling. You know? Jesus talks about the hirelings, right? They're the ones who abandon the sheep, right, when, when the wolf comes, when the false teachers show up, when difficulty comes and hardship comes. The hireling takes off. A shepherd doesn't do that. A shepherd doesn't abandon the flock because their responsibility is to care and protect the flock, not doing this for the money, aren't doing this for what they can get out of it, aren't serving in order to leverage their position for some financial gain. The, the heart of a true under-shepherd, of an elder, is not one of taking, but of giving. It's a heart of radical generosity, financially, in time, in the giving of oneself, in the pouring of oneself, for the flock of God. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, zealously, readily, enthusiastically. Right? The elder, the eager elder, is driven by one thing alone. Serving the chief shepherd by serving his sheep. That's how we serve God. That's how in the grace of God, he's appointed us to do that. To serve him by serving you. By serving his flock. Driven by the care and concern for the sheep. Not concerned for the personal sacrifice they have to make in caring for the sheep. They love to shepherd God's people. I love shepherding God's people. I love the people of God. I hope you feel that. I hope you know that. You're going to see that in Eric. You've already seen that in him as well. God has called us to this. And how can we not love his people? Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. No one should serve as an elder who needs the approval of man, who's tempted by greed, and certainly no one should serve as an elder who's hungry for power, who's hungry for position, who's hungry to have authority. Now I get to be in charge, right? I have served with those people. You've been part of those churches. You may have been that person, and God has set you free from that, right? <laughs> right? And, an elder is not lord and master of a church. I, I served with a pastor like that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> right? He, he acted like that. He was, he was like lord of the church. One of the commentators writes that some, sadly, some elders act like little popes and petty tyrants. You may have known people like that who are in leadership positions. They're, they're bullies. They're power-hungry fools. Many of those, because they don't get a position in a church, end up starting their own and end up shipwrecking a lot of people's faith as a result of that, right? They wound many sheep because they're domineering hirelings and unworthy shepherds. 
Peter writes here, they're not to be bullies, domineering, lording over other people, as some translations say. No, they're to be examples. Now, we've talked about that at length. An elder must be an example. That's what those character qualifications are about. That's why the character is the job description. This is the example you want the sheep to follow, the people to follow. So much as I'm following Jesus, that's the example I want you to follow. We're, we're held up as a mirror and saying, look, look, look here, right? We're, we're trying to pursue Jesus, right? We're trying to go after him. We're trying to obey him and, 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 and live godly lives in Christ Jesus. So you can watch how we do this and you're, you can emulate that because we're leading you and pointing you to Christ. So we're not bullies. We're not lording over people. We're examples. We have to be examples. That's why an elder must come from among the sheep, as I've said. Not only come from among, must be among, must live life among because they need to be known. A shepherd must know the sheep and the sheep must know the shepherd. You've heard this before, right? A shepherd should smell like sheep. A shepherd who does not smell like sheep is not a shepherd, he's a wolf, right? I've served with pastors who don't want to rub with the sheep. They're green room pastors, Music plays, and then they have their appointed time to walk on stage. They do their thing, and then they're hiding back in their little room again. That's not a shepherd. That's a communicator. It's a performer. It could be an entertainer. Some of them are entertaining. But it's not a shepherd. Shepherd, they shepherd the flock of God in how they should, with tenderness, humility, gentleness, and godliness. All the while deflecting any praise and glory for themselves and pointing the sheep to follow the chief shepherd. I'll say it here in a moment here, but this, this is the reality of, of where we come to in this passage that is so critical for Eric to hear, for me to continually remind myself, and for you to always know. It is the flock of God. It's the flock of God. Notice, it's the flock of God that has been placed in the charge of elders. Right? It's important, the phrasing of what he said Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, right? But he says, not, then not, not domineering over those in your charge. We've been given a charge. We're stewards, not owners. We don't possess. It's the flock of God. I always come back to Acts chapter 20. It's, it's, one I visit, it's a chapter I visit time and time and time again to remind myself what I've been called to. And there in that chapter, Paul, knowing that his time is short, right? He's, he's on his way to Rome. He already knows by the Spirit that he's going to face imprisonment when he goes there. He's trying to put affairs in order. He doesn't know what the outcome of that's going to be. But from Miletus, he summons the the elders of the church at Ephesus. Recall, that's the church that Timothy was at. Later on, Titus goes down there years later. But that's the church that that Timothy was left at uh, to, to establish the church there. But he summons the elders to himself, and he begins to give them uh, instructions in that passage. And, and what you see throughout that chapter is Paul's concern for the church of Jesus Christ. Concern for the flock of God. Concern for the people of God who are left because he knows what's going to happen after his departure. 
I mean, he tells them that fierce wolves are going to come in to try to destroy the sheep. In fact, from among you are going to rise up people, and what they want to do is ravage the sheep. He's concerned about them. And he reminds these elders of the kind of example he has been to them. He reminds them of how he served while he was among them. How he was faithful to do what God had called him to do. And then he gives this powerful exhortation in Acts 20, 28. He tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elders, watch your life. It's the very instruction Paul gives to Timothy. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life. Watch your teaching. Watch yourselves. Watch the flock. Care for them. Tend to them. Protect them. For all the things that he tells them there. Look what he writes there. You were given a charge. You didn't do this yourself. You were given a charge by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who made you overseers. He's really the one who's appointed you. It may have been Paul laying his hands upon them and setting him into the office, but he's reminding them whose flock they are. They're the flock of God. And it's the Holy Spirit who has made you overseer. To care for the church of God. Because it's not your church. You're not my church. You are Christ's. He is the chief shepherd. Look at these hands. You know what you don't see? Holes where the nails pierced my hands and blood was shed for you. Because I didn't shed one single drop of blood to purchase you. Christ did. You are his. And everyone who presumed to shepherd the flock of God must remember this. You don't belong to me. You're Christ's possession. Purchased by the, I think, just the measurable cost of his blood. That has to inform how I shepherd, how I exercise oversight. It keeps me from going, not going down the path of domineering or looking for gain or looking for the approval of man and, and to want to do my own thing because I don't have the right to do my own thing. I don't have the right to lead you any way I want to lead you. Or to teach you whatever I want to teach you. Because he's the chief shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. I serve him. You're not mine, you're Christ's. You're Christ's. And that must cause the elder to exercise his oversight over God's people with fear and trembling. Which I do. Why? I'll have to give account one day. I will stand before God for how I exercised oversight over his people. The elder does not serve for the praise of men, though, as we've seen in Scripture, they should be honored. They don't serve for financial profit, though we've seen in Scripture in 1 Timothy, right? Those who labor in preaching and teaching should be taken care of. The elder does not serve so they can tell people what they must do and to control them. 
though they've been given charge by the Lord over a portion of his flock that they must oversee. The heart, the character, the motivation of an elder must be so inclined to Christ to keep them from inflicting harm on the sheep. We have to watch our lives and doctrine and teaching closely. We have to watch over the flock of God to care for them, love them, tend to them as Christ would have us to do. It's not an easy task. It's a difficult task that uh, elders have been called to. And guess what elders need? They need encouragement. They need to be encouraged to have the right motivations to do this thing. And I love here what Peter says here. The task is not easy. It's largely unglamorous. There's a lot of different things that go into it. I've shared before one of the hard things here and why Paul gives the metaphor of a farmer is that we labor and we really don't see immediate results. In fact, there may be years before we get an inkling of a result. We're teaching people and preaching the gospel to them and counseling and encouragement and and we're like, well, well, my God, when are they ever going to change? <laughs> Planting seeds, watering. And sometimes people take a step forward and 18 steps back, you know. And, uh, and it, that's hard. That's hard on a shepherd. It's hard on an elder. We don't see immediate results. We walk with people through the messiness and sinfulness of their lives. And we rejoice that there are really joyful things we get to walk with people through, but there's a lot of the other stuff too, right? All the while dealing with our own messiness and sinfulness. We go through the pain and hardship of people entering and exiting our life all the time. I was reading a, an article recently of one of the, one of the you know, asking pastors to share, what is the most difficult thing in ministry? And the overwhelming was the loss of relationships. Over the course of someone's ministry, they endured ministry. Sadly, a lot, of, a lot of pastors hit the eject button quickly when they start facing difficulty and challenges. But you will have hundreds and hundreds of people enter your life for a moment and gone. Whether you, for good reasons, many do leave for really good reasons, right reasons, and others, you don't know. Others get upset. You know, you don't do what they want want you to do or you said something and it offended them or they disagree here or there and then they're gone they ghost you if, if we sat down Betts and I sat down to write a list it would be an, an extremely long list it's painful it's part of the deal but it hurts right because we are we're human right we face criticism from the sheep we don't really tell you with bothering them, but they're, they're happy to tell everyone else. We lay away at, uh, awake at night thinking about the problems that some people are facing. And we grieve with those who grieve. We hurt with those who hurt. We have to deal with many behind-the-scenes things that most people are largely unaware of. Right? There's always meetings. There's administrative tasks. There's decisions that have to be made. There's sermons and teachings. Like every week, man, I'm like, Sunday's here already? My goodness, it comes fast, right? That regular rhythm, uh, it just, it's unrelenting, right? Uh, counseling sessions, 
prayer. I'm not just, my prayer time is just not consumed with my own needs. Though there's a lot of that. It's praying for your needs. It's praying, it's praying for you. It's praying for our church. You know, I'm caring for our church family. I'm concerned for our church family. And on top of all of that, I've got to take care of my own primary responsibility, which is my family. My relationship with my wife and daughter, right? Pastors, elders deal with continual discouragement in ministry. We put on happy faces. You know me well enough. Many of you know me very well. I get discouraged. We all get discouraged. Pastors may look like they don't. And if they tell you they don't, they're lying. That's a lying shepherd, right? <laughs> we, we get discouraged just like you get discouraged, okay? Um, and then on top of all that is it's the spiritual warfare. It's a continual, unrelenting spiritual warfare, right? All those things. So what does an elder need? Encouragement. And that's what Peter gives us here, right? We, you know, we go all, all through things, but look what he says here, right? So how, do, how does the elder have motivation to keep pressing on through all of that, to continue to give themselves sacrificially in, in, in their shepherding uh, uh, oversight task here, right? Week in and week out. And do it willingly and cheerfully and eagerly. Well, Peter says here, here's what will keep you going. It's the promise of glory. The unfading crown of glory. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Following Christ is costly. Christian service is unglamorous, tiresome, wearying, exhausting, mentally, emotionally, and physically. But, what Peter says, at the coming of the Lord, at His appearing, the chief shepherd whom we serve, whom you're an under-shepherd of, he's got glory waiting for you. The unfading crown. Now, there's a whole lot we could preach just on that. I'm not going to get there. For the elder, all the labor, all of the sacrifices, all of the hardships of pastoral life and ministry, all of the difficulty faced serving the flock, of God, all that went unnoticed and underappreciated by others will be recognized and will be rewarded at the triumphant return of the chief shepherd. That keeps me going. But not just me, that should keep you going. Because this isn't just for the faithful elder here. All of us will receive that crown. All of us at his appearing. All of us in Christ Jesus all of the, through all the hardships of the Christian life, trials, tears, tribulation, we can look confidently towards the appearing of our Lord, the chief shepherd, and that unfading crown of glory that awaits you. And it awaits me. All of us. Victory day is coming. You believe that? Victory day is coming. It will have all been worth it. All of it. That's why, that's why the apostles continually encourage us. Stop looking here, man. Look to that day. Look to that day. That promise is held out before us because it's a guarantee. It's a certainty. We're not down here going, man, I hope, that's, I hope that promise comes to pass. I really want to believe it's true. It is true. It's done. 
Christ has secured that for us. So that's the motivation to keep pressing on. And lastly, before we pray for Eric, how should we respond to the charge given to elders who are tasked with the spiritual oversight of the flock of God? Well, he tells us there in 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all with humility toward one another. The response is to be subject to the elders. That's how the flock of God responds. To joyfully and willingly submit to their shepherding responsibility. That's hard in our world, isn't it? That's hard in our culture. It's individualistic. Wants to be self-determining and have autonomy over their life. To say submission. Ah, that's, a, that's a cuss word. No, it's a biblical word. Right? You are to submit. Ultimately, we're to be submitting to the Lord as we submit to those who are in authority over us. Now, he's singling out young men here, but it's not just young men who are in view. But young men would be likely the ones to have more conflict with the elders for many reasons, right? Some are prone to impatience. You know, they have ideas. They, they want elders to do things, and they get frustrated when things don't maybe happen as fast as uh, they want to or things aren't implemented that they want. They, there's tension. There's tension. I've talked to many pastors who said, yeah, the, man, my greatest source of tension is the young bucks. Right? You know? and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't need to get into that because the, the point here is the same because it's not just young men who need to submit. The flock of God should submit to godly eldership. Right? That exhortation extends to the whole body. Be subject to your elders. Uh, it's echoed again in Hebrews, a little bit different way, in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. We want to do this with joy. We don't want to grumble and complain. We do, but we don't want to, right? <laughs> for that would be of no advantage to you. Notice that. It's not that there's no advantage to the leader. It's, it's no advantage to you to give them a hard time in doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? So obey and submit. Now, the implication here is you obey and submit in so much as we're telling you the things that we're directing you and teaching you are pointing you to Christ, right? And it's not to sin, but it's a promotion of godliness uh, that's fueled by the gospel of grace. It's very important. But there is a direct correlation between an elder's cheerful, eager, willing care of the sheep and the willing submission of the sheep to the elder's leadership. They go hand in hand. We want to do what we do with joy, not groaning and complaining. And I praise God that you do make it a joy for me to shepherd you here. So with all that, pray for your pastors. Pray for me. Pray for Eric. Because unlike Christ, we're not perfect. We will fall short. We do fall short. We will fail you. I can guarantee that to you. If I haven't already, give it time. You know who will never fail you? The chief shepherd. This is why we're always deflecting to Christ. Pointing you to Christ. Telling you to look to Christ. He's the supreme example Right? And this is why Peter later on, uh, earlier in this, in, in this book, in, in, chap, in chapter 2, calls him the overseer of our souls. It's the same word, word. 
He's the chief overseer of your soul. Above me, it's him. Who's at the top of the org chart at Send Church? It's Jesus. He is the head of his church. He's the head of his church. But here's the overriding principle in closing how elders and those in charge, in their charge, can do all of this joyfully. And that's verse 5. Clothe yourselves all. Everyone. Elders, sheep, all of you, with humility toward one another. If all of us put on the clothing of humility, if all of us live in that virtue, and that's how we treat one another, with humility, with, with deference, esteeming one another more than ourselves, as the scripture enjoins us to do, right? Then this aspect here, right, of, of respecting, honoring leaders and submitting to their godly leadership, and in turn, elders... Caring for, loving, and respecting the flock of God. This beautiful harmony of unity, humility, and mutual submission under the chief shepherd causes the church to flourish. And the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is adorned. And what a powerful witness that is to the unbelieving world. All for the glory of God.